Welcome to the Level Up Lifestyle Podcast from Globe Life Liberty National, where your story meets your success for the lifestyle you've always wanted. We're so glad you're here. We've invited our top performers to share their story and journey to success. So let's check out today's conversation. Mike sits down with the CEO of Globe Life Liberty National, Steve DeCharo. We get to hear Steve's entire life story from essentially growing up without a childhood. From age 12 to 17 till I left the college, I did the laundry, I, I cooked, I did the banking. To risking it all, leaving a career of 10 years. And I went in and I quit, and I quit in style. To using all his life experience to climb to the very top. You look at my education, upbringing, resume, and you look at who I am today, it makes no sense. All of this coming up next on The Level Up Lifestyle. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Level Up Lifestyle podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sheets, coming to you from the Globe Life Studios in McKinney, Texas. And today we have, I know I've been saying we've got a special guest, but we have the special guest of the season. We have our chief executive officer, CEO of Globe Life Liberty National Division, Mr. Steve DeCharo, in the house. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. It's good to have you here. You know, this is, I don't know in the history of podcasts, and we're only in our first season, um, if there's ever been a podcast where someone got to interview their boss. But <laughs> um, I've been looking forward to this for a while. I've got uh, so many questions. I didn't write them down because I didn't want to intimidate you with the big long list. <laughs> but, uh, no, um, I, I appreciate you coming on here and, and sharing your story for everybody. It's my pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. You, you know, what we try to do here, again, is there's so many people that are listening to this um, or watching this on YouTube or however they're they're consuming it that, you know, they they see you in the company, obviously. And even if they're not with the company, you know, you're a CEO. I mean, that's a very prestigious position. And um, sometimes you see people that are in these high levels of success and you kind of think, okay, well, they were just born into that. That's, you know, they went to Harvard, they got the CEO job and, you know, away it goes. And um, the whole level up lifestyle is talking about the journey that people go through to get to that position and the adversity that they had to overcome. And, you know, there's people that are listening to this that will find relatable things in your journey that maybe they're in those moments. And, you know, as you tell this and as we get to where we are today, uh, it'll be a good experience for them to see what can be if they uh, if they keep at it and keep sure. leveling up, Great. right, so to speak, right? Excellent. So ready to get into it? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Okay. So I know your story. <laughs> I've known you for quite a while. Yes, many um, but years. I'm going to talk to you with a whole audience of people that that don't know it. So tell me, tell us where you're from, where you grew up. What was uh, what was the childhood like in the DeCharo house? Sure. So I was born in Rhode Island, a small town called Natick, uh, just outside of West Warwick. Okay. Um, mom and dad, uh, you know, married, of course, and. Uh, had a brother, younger brother, still do. Um, he's one year younger than I am, one year and a day actually. Um, and we, my mom and dad got divorced when I was four years old. Okay. My mother remarried when I was five, relocated us to Virginia. Um, so most of your formative childhood is growing up in Virginia. Correct. Then. Yeah. I went to all of my education was in Virginia, 
elementary school, high school, college, everything was in Virginia. Like D.C. area or what part of Virginia? Northern Virginia. Yeah, okay. Fairfax. Fairfax okay. uh, County Schools. Yeah. Um, and I went to Radford University. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it, it was a less than desirable childhood. Um, you know, my mom got re-divorced at 12 when I was 12. Okay. So they were married for about seven or eight years, got re got divorced again. Um, and then she didn't have, a, she had a high school education. So the only thing that was really afforded to her, the ability for her to earn money to, to, you know, support us was bartending and, you know, waitressing kind of jobs and things of that nature. So she was a bartender for a while and then became a, a bar manager. And what that meant was that she'd go to work at three o'clock in the afternoon, come home at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, so a lot of our communication was on a whiteboard in the hallway. You're you know? going to school. I'm going to school. And she's going and she, to bed. She's going and, to bed. And, yeah. you know, there would be mornings that she would come in and sit on my bed and we'd talk and so on and so forth. Um, but unfortunately, during that time, my brother was an alcoholic. So my brother was an alcoholic from age 12 wow. uh, and for many, many years. Um, so it was kind of my responsibility to go find him before she came home so I wouldn't get in trouble for him being out. So you're you're protecting you and protecting your brother a little Absolutely, bit. right. Yeah. Because if he's not home, she's waking me up, then I got to go find him and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. um, that was, that was kind of challenging. Um, of course- a single mother with two children. We were on public assistance. So food stamps, you know, I know what government cheese looks and tastes like. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, that was, that was challenging too, because from age 12 to 17 till I left to college, you know, I did the laundry. I, I cooked, I did the banking. Um, you know, I had to walk to the bank right there next to giant food store. And, you know, the food stamp thing was challenging as well, because I lived in a neighborhood where it was somewhat affluent. Um, and we did our best to try to keep up, yeah. but, uh, you know, was it like a house or an apartment? It was a townhouse. Okay. Townhouse. And, um, you know, I never, I didn't own a pair of Levi's until I went to college. You know, I had tough skins, those little patches on the knees and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I had to overcome that stigma and all, all that kind of stuff. And I guess when you look back on it, it's kind of benign, but when you're in it, it's a little bit more impactful. You know, you don't just don't, you know, these, these were kids that came from money, Northern Virginia, you know, yeah. pretty affluent. So, um, you know, trying to, trying to keep up with them was difficult. So of course I had to have a job. So if I wanted something nice, like a baseball glove, if I wanted to, you, you had know, to go get it. For I yourself. had to go get it and earn money on my own. Yeah. So, you know, if it snowed, that was a, that was, that was a banner day for me because I could grab my shovel and my, and my lunchbox and go make some money. Yeah. You know, during the summertime, I would take my little electric mower and I'd go cut lawns and make 20 bucks, you know, a smash on that. So I always found a way to earn money. Um, and uh, it was just, you know, it was just the way I thought things were. Yeah. Um, but you were, I guess you were aware that, you know, your mom's doing everything that she can. Sure. Right. Absolutely. And you're trying to take care of your brother. But there's a time where you're like, the, there's other families that are living at different levels. This is where we are. And sure. you're having to work. So you're aware yeah. of that scenario. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the embarrassment that, you know, I, I remember vividly one time a girl I was dating, her mother was in the grocery store and I was in line with my food stamps. Hmm. And I just because you're doing all the shopping and everything, I, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. She's you know she's sleeping, going to work, waking yeah. up. So I panicked, and I was like, I got to get one more thing, and I ran out of the grocery store. Wow, I just 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 mortified. Um, and looking back on it, it's not that big a deal then, but you know when you're 14, 15, 16 years old, and the girl that you're dating's mother's in line behind you, and you have food stamps in your hand, it's uh you know it's it's a little. Well, everything's- It's a little challenging. Yeah, and everything's know? a little more magnified when you're in your teenage years, yeah, too. Yeah, of course. I mean, so. every, you know, one pimple in your, you know, you go berserk. Right. You know, let alone being there with a handful of food stuff. Right. Um, you know, so um, I, I, you know, listen, that certainly helped forge who I am today, right? I mean, yeah. just 
you don't get tangled up on the little things anymore, right? Just some of the, some of the things that just pull people off sides, just don't pull you off sides when you had to deal with that kind of stuff as a child. Sure. Um, Do you think it also influences your work ethic that you've had? I mean, obviously you've worked very hard to get to the position that you are and have the lifestyle that you have. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that's motivating for you to make sure that you provide for your kids at a different level. You live a different life now. Certainly. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't hold myself as the example of the work ethic, but you know, I found an industry where all I had to do was outwork you and I could win. Yeah. So that was easy for me. That was easy for me. Um, but it, on, on the same token, you know, it was, it was tough. Um, you know, my mother was doing everything she could, but again, you know, come from a long line of alcoholics, unfortunately, and you know, mental illness. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, my mother was, was stricken with that. Um, mm. And when I look back, I was angry when it was happening, but you look back and it, you know, it wasn't really her fault. You know, it's yeah. the way she was raised and there wasn't a lot of education around mental illness, sure. right? It was more of a, you know, it was more of a stigma. It was more of a- Don't talk about a, it. A taboo no. thing that you don't discuss. And, yeah. you know, so um, unfortunately, um, you know, when I completed high school, um, I was going to college. It was always my mission to go to college. Um, I was, what, I was, what drove you to want to go to college? Just my uncle, to do more? So my mother's brother- uh, was the first one I ever went to college. He was an accountant. I went to school to be an accountant, if you can imagine that. So <laughs> went to school to be a CPA. Um, and I I'm got glad you're not a, doing my taxes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I got through, I got through the tax accounting. I'm like, there's no way I can do this for the rest of my life. So I changed the business administration, economics. Um, and everybody's heard my story. You know, I loved college. Um, and the reason I loved college is because I had the freedom and the flexibility to do things I want to do that I didn't have as a child growing up in a house where I was responsible for everything. Um, and unfortunately I was going to college. Now the summer of my senior year, when I graduated high school, um, my grandfather was diagnosed with terminal cancer okay. and my grandfather was 52 years old, never left the state of Rhode Island. Wow. Never left the state of and Rhode Island is 45 square miles. Did you, did you get to see him often then? Or you had to go there, obviously. You know, Christmas, you know, yeah. holiday stuff like that. So we would always travel back to the East Coast for the holidays and things okay. of that nature. Christmas break. I mean, not uh, summer break. You drive up there a couple hours, right? Eight hours. Yeah, okay. Yeah, eight hours. Uh, one hour flight. Um, and we would go up there and spend the summer. Um, the, okay. the, the thing I looked forward to the most was getting out of school and going to Rhode Island, spend an entire summer with my Italian grandparents. I mean, you want to talk about being coddled and taken care of and (laughs) nurtured. Just, you know, my grandmother was four feet tall and four feet wide. You know, you just run into her, oof. You know, she would give you a hug and always have food ready and you'd wake up to the smell of, of, of food cooking. Um, and just, just, just a wonderful part of my childhood. Well, you probably, you probably almost also felt like a little bit of a release if you're, of course, you're taking care of everything during the school year and now you can be. You can be a kid. Well, those were my younger of. years. During okay. during my older years, I, I stayed it. I stayed in Virginia. Okay, and pretty much played baseball all summer long. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so my senior after I graduated, uh, a town called Waynesboro, Virginia, the Waynesboro Generals. It was a summer league, and you would stay with a host family. So um, you would go down there, and you would work on the farm, or you would work in the fields, or whatever. And at night you play baseball. Um, and I did that for about six eight weeks. I came home, and during the time I had left to go play baseball and came home. My grandfather came down because he had given, he had like 30 days to live, 60 days to live. And my grandmother and my mother and my grandfather decided they don't want to be up there by themselves. They want to be with their family. And when he passed away, we'd be there. Um, Unfortunately, I came home July 28th 
Uh, my mother and I had a very heated argument. Um, and that next morning, when I woke up, she was dead. Hmm. And she died on July 29th. My grandfather died August 10th. So I went to two funerals in a two-week period. Then I went to college. So needless to say, wow. when I went to school, I had a good time because I no longer had the responsibilities. I was trying to get rid of the grief. I dealt with it in a way that most people shouldn't deal with it. I just yeah. went nuts. Um, but again, that kind of gives you some of the background of the story you've heard before that five years, four summers and no degree right. because I just, you know, I, I excelled very well at things after 5 p.m. in college. Well, and, um, and you had to kind of grow up a little bit while you were growing up. Sure. Taking care of your yeah. family and then this happening. Right. But the thing that was astonishing to me when I got to school is I saw kids trying to become adults and I was an adult trying to become a kid. Mm. You know, so I knew how to do laundry. I never had pink shirts. Yeah. Because I knew that you separate the whites and the colors. Right. You know, I, I knew how to balance this a checkbook. This was a white shirt, <laughs> by the way, when I bought it. Right. I knew how to balance a checkbook. <laughs> I knew how to, you know, shop and things. That I knew how to cook. Yeah. You know, most things that people were learning when they got to college, I had already You're self-sufficient, yeah. To an extent. Yeah. To an extent. Um, so, yeah. So, college was, um, college was uh, a good experience for me. Um, I obviously didn't maximize the opportunity when I was there. Um, but again, I think everything in your life is a part and parcel of who you are today, right? Yeah. So it's all those, what you say all the time, it's all those little insignificant events that you're not cognizant of sure. while it's happening, create who you are in the end. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's certainly part of it um, because I went through a lot of adversity during that time. Um, but yeah, so college ended um, and it was time to go to life, get, get back out to the real world. You know, can't ride your Schwinn all, yeah. all, all the time through life. So right. I had to go back to school, go back out there, cut my hair. I had long hair at the time. Really? Which people would find hard to believe. Let's see if we can't so, find a picture. And we'll, God, everyone Facebook, on YouTube no, can see no. this here. <laughs> or maybe we'll redo a bobblehead, yes. you know. or <laughs> Between the hemp bracelets that I had and the earrings I had and the long hair that I had. Um, <laughs> thank God there wasn't Facebook back then. Oh, sure. No one had a camera phone. So uh, most of what I'm telling you, you can't prove. You had to go um, get that film developed, right? <laughs> exactly, and we'll look for some yes. negatives yep. in your in your closet. Go to a little Kodak booth and get yeah. the photo mat and all that yeah. stuff. Um, but yeah, so college I enjoyed uh, too much, obviously. Um, and then uh, it was time to go to life. And so what'd you what, do? I, what I knew was the Northeast. So I moved back up to Rhode Island. Um, and uh, is there still some family up there? Or you just I've got a brother and two sisters up there. Okay. Yep. So my, my, my family's up there. Um, parents have passed away. My, my father passed away. I'll, I'll get to that. Um, mm -hmm. So Get up there, uh, stay with my stepbrother and his wife, um, their children, and don't really know what I want to do, you know? Um, maybe continue my education. I was probably, you know, a year and a half away from getting a degree, whatever the case may be. Um, but I happened to, my sister-in-law mentioned this place called Ocean State Nurseries, and it was in Situa, Rhode Island, up in the northwest uh, okay. part of Rhode Island. I went in, I did an interview. Uh, I had done a lot of manual labor, obviously in the summer times as, as, right. as a teenager. So I knew my way around farm equipment, that kind of stuff. They hired me on uh, in the yard loading lumber, loading mulch rather. Okay. Um, I did yard work for a while. Uh, then they moved me to the farm. There was a planting operation uh, where I worked with three Cambodian guys that didn't speak a word of English. <laughs> so we would trade meals back and forth. Uh, I would have Cambodian food. They would have Italian this food. This sounds like a reality TV show concept <laughs> here. <laughs> uh, over time, I learned a few words. They learned a few words. We communicated and did that for a couple of years. 
Uh, then I moved into the retail operation. There was three locations, uh, one in Situate, one in Warwick, and one in uh, uh, Attleboro, Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, so I started in the Seekonks, uh, the, I'm sorry, I started in the Situate Rhode Island store. Then I moved to Warwick. Uh, and then Fred Richwine, who was the owner, kind of had me be the district manager. Um, and I did that for five years. And, you know, I sit back and reflected at the point is, listen, I'm as high as I'm ever going to go. I'm making like 45, 50 grand a year, whatever the case was back in 1992, 93, whatever it was. It's not bad for Wasn't a bad, kid out of college. But that was going to be it. Yeah. I mean, that was that. It, it, this was a family owned business. And you're running it for them, basically. I'm running it. Yeah. Suit yeah. to nuts. I'm kind of the district manager. Yeah. What I'm doing is what they don't want to do. Yeah. Right? They're on a boat. Exactly. You're on yeah. the farm. Right. Yeah. Yep. They're out on Martha's Vineyard enjoying themselves yeah. and I'm planting stuff out at the farm. Yeah. And again, for 50 grand, it was an equitable trade for the point I was at in my life. And, um, I just decided it, it, this isn't what I want to do anymore. You know, so I, I knew it was never going to be mine. I mean, it was Marie and Fred Richwine. They had children. One day they were going to turn over to the kids. So um, I put an application at Home Depot. And having five years garden center experience, Home Depot had the wisdom to hire me in the garden center and uh, have me load bags of mulch. So start, I start all over again. Starting over. All over again. Yeah. And I made my way to garden Garden uh, garden department manager. Then I made my I did other departments in the building. Uh, I became an assistant store manager, and then in who try to figure out the years here. Ninety eight, my father was diagnosed with cancer, pancreatic cancer. Hmm. Uh, survived for six months, and uh, my brother and my sister and I did eight hour shifts, twenty four hours a day, taking care of him. He was a big guy, worked construction his whole life, and you know, probably a 225, 230 pound guy. Uh, when we buried him, he was about 130 pounds. Wow. You know, so I saw over a six month progression, him just wither away, wither away, wither away. And there's there's nothing more debilitating than you having to shave your father. Yeah. You know, give him a shower and a bath and things like that. When you looked at him as this, this, this just image of, you know, uh strength, you know, and just he was just a, he was just a, you know, he was a a construction union worker and he just, you know, he's one of those guys. Big, big blue dude. collar, yeah. you know. And just, I'm having to yeah. carry him and change his diaper and all that kind mm. of stuff and just, you know, it was, it was hard to watch and hard to be there. Um, but that was a six-month period. Passed away and uh, during that time, some emails came out from uh, Atlanta, which was the home office for Home Depot and uh, there was opportunities to move to the West Coast. And I was one of the young and the restless at Home Depot. So I went from store to store to store to store. Uh, you know, no ties to anybody, no ties to anything. Are you getting promoted as you're moving around or just Somewhat. whatever? I'm just, I'm, I'm really just, I, there's a lot of freedom because you're going to work at like three o'clock in the afternoon, coming home at two o'clock in the morning. I did yeah. a lot of the setups in the stores. Okay. So most of the New England stores I set up. Um, and back then, Home Depot, you would get a 100,000 square foot box. 10 tractor trailer loads of those uprights, those orange uprights that you would see. Mm -hmm. And then you would just take a drill and a hammer, put a drill, bang the bolt in the ground, close, tighten the nut, put the uprights in, put the beams in, go to lumber, take the, the lumber, cut them in 18 inch lengths and put them on the shelves. You built the store from the inside out. Wow. And it gave you ownership. Yeah. You had pride of ownership when when it happened. These aren't construction workers coming in, building it. No. It is you're the Home Depot employee. Building your own store. Uh, me and 100 people. Yeah. And it's around the clock, 24 hours a day. And I mean, you when you took a, 
you took a hundred thousand square foot slab of concrete with four walls and you built Home Depot. Wow. Inventory came in, you packed it out, you put the beams on, the stickers on, the, everything was yours. Um, you're getting nostalgic if you walk into a Home Depot now where you see, oh, oh I, you I see how easy they have it. It's yeah. ridiculous. You know, that's, that, yeah. You're the uphill both ways oh, in the yeah, snow with the checkout the whole, version. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yes. We did this without a roof. Yeah. You know? so, <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's, it's kind of neat to go in there. Um, but uh, then they, they needed experience managers to open up the Western market. And Colorado was the place I wanted to go. So I, I enjoyed my time in Colorado. Um, and uh, that's where I met my wife, Holly. Uh, and, uh, so did you set up that store the same way that you did absolutely. on the East coast? You bet, okay. You bet. Yep. So, we, and we came from all over the country. So these are people from all over the country that came together with different ideas and thoughts and processes. And it was neat. It was kind of say, an yeah. amalgamation of all the different kinds of cultures that were out there at Home Depot throughout the country. Um, so again, I got there as the, the assistant store manager for the uh, garden department, um, kind of in Colorado, I worked my way up to store manager and, um, during that process in Colorado, the Home Depot had changed leadership, okay? And a lot of people can relate to this. Mm -hmm. I was raised under Bernie Marcus, Bernie Marcus and Arthur Blank, right? So these guys have founded Home Depot. These are the guys that would, in 1976, when they founded the company, if you ever had the opportunity to read the book Built from Scratch, it's a great book. Okay. Um, and it's Bernie and Arthur talking about their journey and how they built Home Depot. They wrote the book. They wrote the book. Okay. Yeah, got with another guy named Ron Brill, who's kind of the silent money guy, but Arthur and Bernie were the face of the company. Okay. And they would talk about in 1976, they had four stores in Atlanta. I think I got the date right. Um, they had 52,000 items on the shelf and they would literally sit in the parking lot and jump on people's cars that walked to their car with nothing in the shopping cart. And they would ask, why didn't you buy something? I had 52,000 items in the store. Why didn't you buy it? I wanted wow. this, that, and that. They said, come back next week and we'll have it. Come These are the owners doing These are the that. owners. Yeah. Jumped on the cars, jumped on the cars of people leaving the store that had nothing in their cart. We'll have it next week, come back. We'll have it next week, come back. We'll have it next week, come back. So that's how I was raised. Do the right thing. Take care of the customer. Do the right thing. Yeah. Identify what the needs are. Take care of their needs. You take care of what they need. You get what you want. Yeah. Right? So bottom line is it switched over. A gentleman named Bob Nardelli came over. No no fault to Bob Nardelli. He ran GE for many years. Very successful. But he tried to change Home Depot to a light bulb factory. Did, I, I, and I don't know all the Home Depot history. Did they sell the company? It, they didn't sell it. It was publicly owned. They just oh. transferred on. They tra transferred leadership. Yeah. Got it. It was, okay. still, it was a public company. Gotcha. Um, so going through that process, and then of course system changes and process changes, uh, compensation changes, review changes, all things that for the better. But just because for the better didn't mean that it was for me, you know. So if you've ever been to a, in an environment where the where the culture changes. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just different. It's just yeah. not, sometimes you identify it's not for you. And I remember coming home for months, maybe a year, just complaining about it, complaining about it, complaining about it. And uh, Holly, my wife, said, why don't you quit? I said, say that again? She said, if you're that miserable, just get out of there. I said, well, you know, that's where the money comes from. Right? That's how we get paid. She goes, listen, you're going to find something. Don't sweat it. Just go ahead and quit. How long so, have you been at Home Depot up until years. this point? 10 years. So full decade. Full decade. Yeah. Um, most of my formative young adult years. Yeah. Um, and I went in and I quit and I quit in style. Um, I can I imagine. took those 10 years and unloaded in 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, so I was escorted to the door. Um, 
And are you allowed at Home Depot <laughs> now, or are you a Lowe's guy? I think they've, no, taken, no. The po they've taken the poster okay. down. Yeah, they've yeah. taken the poster down at this point. Um, but listen, I'm very grateful for what Home Depot taught me. Um, again, work ethic, responsibility, ownership. Uh, you know, back then, it was your store. You could do with it as you saw fit. You didn't have to have schematics and uh, shelf diagrams and all. You put the stuff where you wanted to put it, and you did the way you wanted to do it. As long as you're growing sales, it was okay. Um Unfortunately, there's a lot of bad stuff that comes with that that I won't get into. Yeah. But well, there's probably stores that think they're doing it the right way and it's hurting them. Of course, yeah. of course. Um, so there had to be some continuity. There had to be some SOP, suggest, suggested operating procedures, those types of things. Right. So I understand the need for the change. Um, but again, it just didn't fit who I was and how I was raised. Um, quit that. And I'm on the couch for four months. Holly thought it was going to be four weeks. So, and you quit. So it's just not like a severance package no, here. No, there. no, no. <laughs> I mean, got an employment for, I don't know, a couple of months or whatever. Yeah. 600 bucks didn't go far with the family of four. Right. Okay. So she was working at the time. Um, you got two kids at home. Two kids at home. Have a house. Have a house, a mortgage, yeah. car payments, yeah. the whole nine yards. Yep. And that's why I was so astonished when she allowed me to quit, you know. Um, but as fate would have it, I get a phone call one day from a guy named Bill Jennings. And, and Bill is a agency owner of American Income. And uh, <laughs> calls me up and says, hey, Steve, I, I got your resume. And you know, for many of you that are listening to this, if you're with our company, my question was probably the first question that you had. I'm really pleased that you got my resume, Bill, but did you read it? Right. So why the hell are you calling me? I don't want to do insurance. I yeah. certainly don't want to do sales. And this Bill actually called you. Yes, the Bill, agency the agency owner, owner yeah. called me, yeah. yeah. And he said, well, um, some of the stuff that you've done in your past may put you in line for leadership here. And I said, Bill, that's flattering. But uh, listen, man, I don't, don't want to do sales. I sure as hell don't want to do insurance. He goes, what are you doing right now? And I said, nothing. He said, doesn't it make sense to come in and talk to me? Logically, that made sense. <laughs> so I went in and talked to him. And uh, I'll never forget, it was, a, it was a three interview process, right? So the first was the initial interview. The second one, you come back for a group interview. And the third one is a final interview. Mm -hmm. And he... Uh, he said, listen, like what I've heard, if we're interested in you, this was on a Tuesday, if we're interested in you. This was the first interview. First interview. Yeah. If we're interested in you, we'll call you tonight by 6 p.m., key part, by 6 p.m., and uh, we'll have you back Thursday at 10 o'clock for an interview, for your, for your second interview. It'll be in a group setting so we can discuss all at once. And I remember going home and telling Holly, she asked me how to go. I said, it doesn't matter how it went, I'm not going to do it. She goes, well, what did they say? I said, well, if they want me, they're going to call me by 6. So it's 6.02, Now I'm getting pissed, right? Why did they call me? Yeah. I don't want the job. I just want to tell them no, right? That's ego and pride just going. And you yeah. want to be wanted. Yeah, right, hubris yeah. just run amok, right? Yeah. I don't want the job. I just want to tell you no. Yeah. I just want to refuse you. Um, something I was working on today, so. Um, <laughs> so it goes at 10 o'clock. They call me 10 o'clock. 10 p.m. 10 p.m. Right? And I'm so pissed I answered the phone. Yeah. What? Well, Mr. Char, we'd like to have you back for an interview. I'm like, okay, thanks. Click. She goes, what do they say? I'm invited to the interview at 10 o'clock on Thursday. And she goes, okay, great. She goes to bed, dismisses me, and you yeah. know, I go on about my business. So Wednesday goes by. It's Thursday morning, 8.30. I'm on the couch, and I'm watching ER. The original ER with George Clooney, oh, right? So yeah. th this is this is first run. This is rerun. I'm sitting there, and she comes down, and um, 
She said, what are you doing? I said, what's it look like I'm doing? I'm watching television. She goes, well, I thought you had the interview. I said, I thought we had this discuss. I thought we had this discussion. I'm not doing this. Listen, I'm going to sell cars before I sell insurance. You understand me? She goes, what are you doing right now? I said, nothing. She goes, you better get your ass in there. <laughs> and my right hand to God, June 3rd of 2003, that's how my career started. My wife shamed me into the second interview. Yeah. Um, thank God she did. You know, where would I be without her tenacity to make sure that I at least did something. Maybe it wasn't what I was going to do for the rest of my life, but she she insisted that I did something. Yeah. Um, I think she wanted a couple hours to herself, too. <laughs> and he had to yeah, drive down yeah. from Greeley. That, you know, well, maybe she that. didn't want the pressure of supporting the family yeah, anymore. Yeah, that could be. You know, so that, she's working. Fair. and she's, well, Of course she's working. Yeah. yeah. So did you, if you go all the way back from like childhood, what you did as in your teenage years to then getting into business and then moving to Colorado. And of course you meet Holly and you have kids and, and all that. Is there in your mind kind of the life that you want and you're just, you're not there yet? I mean, in other words, are you thinking like, this is how I want to live my life. This is the lifestyle I want to have. You're out looking for that. Obviously you leave Home Depot and did something click in the second interview that brought you in or I wish I was that insightful I wish I was that you were just day to day I would listen I was doing that till I found something else right because I'm a big box retailer yeah I've been doing this for 10 years man I, you know, I run Home Depot um I'm waiting for Lowe's to call and I'm waiting for Walmart Costco so this you know, wasn't Sam's like Club. this wasn't a like okay burn the bridges burn God, the ships I'm no, I'm in absolutely not I had one foot I had one toe in let alone one foot in yeah I was I, I, I wasn't bought in at all I mean it took years before I got in the business um and you know my career path emulated that um I didn't take it serious in the beginning I was a horrible agent. I didn't listen. I didn't, I didn't learn the script. I mean, with my ADHD, <laughs> trying to learn a 17 page script. Are you kidding me? Like, Ooh, squirrel. Oh, look, something well, at the grocery store. And you know? some of the people that are just getting started with the company right now, you know, you've got a laptop, you've got a, oh. a short presentation. I mean, this is, this is kind of like you talking about how it used to be at Home Depot to the new people to yeah. hear, you know, I, I was raised in that 17 page script, yeah. flip book, 30 pages, yeah. a rate book. An hour and a half presentation. Yeah. In every house, you got to give five a day. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. giving so, out, giving out AD&D certificates for cans of food. I mean, you, just, right. you know, just all the stuff that we had to go through. Um, but again, it took years in the business before I, I finally realized it. And again, my wife supported me the entire time. You know, listen, I'm like many of you out there that have quit this thing a thousand times in my head. Mm -hmm. I've just never been dumb enough to do it at my mouth. Yeah. You know, um, so, you know, I struggled. I struggled. I didn't take the opportunity seriously to train people. I didn't take the responsibility uh, for guiding their careers and, 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 their, and, the, and their lives. So it's not an immediate ascension to you're doing really good. Now you're an agency director. Now you're an agency owner. Now you're the CEO. It's not just straight No. <laughs> I was an agent. Then I was an SA. Then I was a GA. Then I got promoted to what at American Income is the equivalent to an AD, which is the MGA the position. Mm -hmm. I got promoted to that three times. So it doesn't take long to figure out why that. There's happened. not three levels There's of not the three MGA, levels of MGA No, yeah. So it was a lot of this in my career. Um, and again, grateful for Bill Jennings, who saw something to me that I didn't see in myself. Grateful to my wife for supporting me when I didn't really deserve the support because uh, I wasn't putting in the effort that she was putting in. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have good people in my life that saw something that I couldn't see. Um, so they believed in it enough for both of us. Um, and sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes it takes, you know, someone else believing in it enough for the both of you 
to get through the hard times and to uh, finally realize what this what this opportunity can bring to you. So did um, you did you find yourself doing that for other people later on in your career once you were fully in this is it and you're succeeding? Can you reflect back on that saying, I'm going to believe in this for you when you don't? Yeah. And I've told so many people, listen, just believe that I believe it for now. And let's see if we can get through it together. Hmm. You know, um, and, and, you know, I will freely discuss my failures because I think that's what forged the opportunity for me, uh, overcoming the adversity. I just failed a lot quick. You know, I failed really, really frequently in the beginning. You're ramming the wall. Oh God, I didn't walk into it. I ran through it. Um, and, and I wasn't smart enough not to do it again. But I also have the elation of seeing people succeed with my little bit of input. Yeah. Um, and listen, I'm not confused in this business. The agent, the SA, the AD, the AO does the heavy lifting. If I can give one or 2% of guidance or, or, or direction or course correction, then I think I've done my job. Um, but again, I'm not confused who does the heavy lifting because listen, I was an agent, I was an SA, I was an AD, I was an S. SGA. I was executive vice president. Um, I know the struggles that come with every one of those positions and the, and the apprehension and the, the fear and the insecurity that comes with it. So um, I'm appreciative of those that make it. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate those that, that, that attempt it. Um, I think those things probably stay with you though sure. and influence how passionate you are in making sure that that newest person in the business is taken care of and making sure that they're trained and making sure that they have the opportunity because that's partly what, you know, you saw both sides of that for you coming up. I take, I take, I take the commitment very seriously when people join our organization, you know, we don't have MBAs joining us at any great frequency. (laughs) We don't have Harvard graduates joining us at any great frequency. Um, For most of us, this is a default position, right? We never went looking for it. It kind of found us. Mm -hmm. Um, And, in so much as that it found us, we don't really have the gratitude for being here in the beginning. Um, so uh, us blazing the path for others that come into this industry that don't have a good education, that don't have uh, a work history that may allow them to earn a six-figure income or better. Um, I know that anybody that has a desire to change their circumstance and is willing to put in the effort can achieve anything they want in this company because I'm living proof of it. Yeah. I mean, I've said this a million times and I'll keep saying it till they drag me out of here. You look at my education, you look at my upbringing, you look at my resume and you look at who I am today, it makes no sense. It doesn't It doesn't add up. You'd never draw, you'd never connect these dots. And that's true of so many people out there that just joined this company last week, last month, last year. You have no idea where this can take you. I mean, from the lows that you experience, which are sometimes unfathomable to the highs that you experience, which sometimes are unfathomable. Yeah. Um, and everything that comes in between, uh, you know, as long as the comeback is better than a setback, you're okay. You know, and you, you just got to realize that this too will pass. Yeah. But I think it also speaks to, it's not always where you come from. It's what's inside you. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. because there's, there's something inside of you, no matter what your, background and upbringing was that once that comes out, you know, right. it's game over. Yeah. I mean, especially in this opportunity. Yeah, for there sure. There is no limit to what you can achieve. So don't sit there and cry about what you don't have because of the work you didn't do. Right. You got to put the time in, you got to put the effort in and, and to have what you and I have, you have to do what we've done. Absolutely. You got to go through it. Yeah. 
So can you talk about a moment where maybe you started to really see how lives can be changed with this opportunity? Well, of course, I've, I've, I've witnessed other people's lives change. But for me, it occurred at a very um, unexpected moment. Okay. So my very first convention was at the Fiesta Americana in Cancun. 2008, maybe 2006, seven, somewhere in there, right? Okay. So I started with the company in 2003. I didn't qualify the first couple of years because of what I enumerated already discussed. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's obviously why I didn't qualify. Um, but I think we finally qualified, and Holly and I were so excited, so excited that we finally got this trip and we're going to, you know, get to rub elbows with the top 10, 15, 25% of the company, right? Which is really what I think is the benefit of, of convention is just, you know, steel sharpens steel, right? Yeah. So, we get there and- The company uh, flies you down. company flies us yeah. down, hotel and- Meals and all that. Meals, right? So it's all inclusive, Fiesta Americana. We get to the check-in and they ask for a credit card. And of course, I have a credit card, a debit card. And- For a hold. For, yeah. For, okay, but I wasn't realizing this. So they say, okay, we're going to have a $300 hold on your account. And I'm like, I got $305 to my name in the world. Hmm. So where I should be- excited, where I should be happy, where I should be looking forward to this event, I'm paralyzed with fear because I got five bucks wow. to make a week. And I just won a freaking contest. We're paralyzed. We're panicked. So Holly and I run across the street and there's a Telemex phone booth. And I remember getting on that phone booth, Holly calling her parents and they wired us 500 bucks. Wow. Right? So thank God that we had people like that that believed in us. Why just 500 bucks? We went back upstairs. Of course, we nickel, we watched everything we did. We had to, I mean, we had to scrutinize every dollar that we spent, right? You are getting all of the all inclusive. Oh, yeah. I mean, we went to lunch twice. And I mean, yeah. you know, so <laughs> load it, up. It, load up. So, you know, and, and it just, where you should have been excited about what was just being provided for you because of the place I was in my career and the place I was in my life and the place I was in my relationship with the company, I just, I, I couldn't fully enjoy it. Fast forward 10 years. I'm not an agent. I'm the executive vice president of the company. I don't show up in a bus. Number one, I didn't show up in a plane. I show up in a private jet. Hmm. A little different. A little different experience, right? Yep. I don't show up in a van, a bus. I show up in a private vehicle. I don't go to the check-in desk. I go to a private elevator, glass elevator. goes up to the top. I'm greeted with champagne, amenities, so on and so forth. Mr. DeChar, blah, 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 blah. A butler. And a butler. Presidential suite, I think, something, right? And I look out the window. There's a phone booth. Wow. 10 years ago that we were panicked at. Panicked. I mean, just total fear. And it's amazing what can happen in a 10-year period with this company. So I go from panic to star treatment. I go from 
not knowing what's coming next to looking forward to everything that's about to occur, going from uncertainty to success. And I get emotional about this because I know there's people out there right now that are just panicked about the opportunity. They're panicked about the next week, the next month, the next year, what's going to happen. And all I can tell you is that 90% of the people that are listening to this have a better education than I do, have a better history than, than I, family history than I do, and you got a better, you got a better resume than I do. So if somebody like me can go from that absolute panic and fear to the elation of being there and being the host to the top performers in the company, it's, it's, it's at anybody's disposal. Anybody can do this if you have a desire to change your circumstances and you just apply yourself to your craft. Um, so, you know, I, uh, I am eternally grateful for the support that I've uh, been given over the years to get to where I am today. Um, and it's not lost on me that although you may achieve the highest level of recognition or success, there's still some apprehension and fear that goes with that. So I guess my recommendation is, um, you know, just keep going through it, you know, keep going through it. And, uh, and, and, and if, if you truly want the opportunity of a lifetime, it's possible here at uh, Globe Life Liberty National Division. That's gotta be such, uh, influential in your just desire to take care of new people in this business because, yeah, because you've seen it, you've lived it. I mean, you're being celebrated as a winner and still you felt like a loser, mm. you know, and, uh, time heals most issues. And, uh, for me, 10 years was the, was the, was the day just, and again, you know, you feel good about yourself. You know, you, you, you were there and now you're here and, you know, but again, I'm not confused that it's the people in my life that got me there. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm blessed to have good people in my life. It's interesting the distance that you've traveled in life in those 10 years. You talked about you had 10 years at Home Depot, right? And then 10 years here in this business and how that ends with all these, these things that you've been able to now experience after 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Which seems like an attorney when you're in it. Yeah. But the blink of an eye when you look back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So, okay. So let's go back. Um, you go through this period of time where you're figuring it out. You start to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you start to see the income and the opportunity. And then, um, you know, what was, what was kind of the leadership situation that you're receiving maybe yeah. towards the, you know, so, towards the end of that? Know, not, not unlike a lot of agency owners, you know, sometimes they, they, at the end of their career, they just disengage a little bit on, um, you know, and. I had the benefit of having the best of Bill Jennings when Bill Jennings was just killing it. I mean, he was a council member. There wasn't a better recruiter in the company. Absolutely. There wasn't a better leader in the company. Um, and unfortunately, you know, over time, sometimes those those passions wane um, and you don't put the effort in that you used to. Um, and it was, a, it was tough. It was tough, you know, because I just had another child. Holly and I just had Garrett. Um, this was in 2008 and that's kind of when Bill decided that, you know, maybe retirement was in, in his near future. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it was hard, you know, as good as you think you are, you still need a leader, right? I mean, every Olympic athlete has a coach, right? <laughs> They've made it to the pinnacle of their sport and you still need a coach. And although we were good, you were there. Yeah, absolutely. You were there. I remember. We still needed a coach yeah. and it's kind of hard with a, with, with a ship without a runner. 
You know, um, it's wherever the wind blows you. Yeah. Um, and Driving in circles. We, yeah. And unfortunately, we got blown off course every now and again. Um, and then Bill decided to retire. Um, and I was uh, fortunate enough to be there when they needed a change in leadership. Uh, you had you had gone to the home office at this point mm-hmm. and started running the uh, the, uh, the the training yeah. for the for the work site the individual laptop, uh, individual yeah. the, la- the laptop um, and uh, I was provided an opportunity to become the SGA in Colorado and uh, it was an awesome opportunity scary as heck you know I was it was a tough deal because now I had been there you had been there when we were writing fifty sixty seventy eighty thousand dollars a week. Hundred thousand dollars. Hundred thousand a week, right? So I know what the opportunity looked like in Colorado. But when I was given the opportunity to take it over, it was right about twenty five grand a week, but the bills were forty thousand dollars a month. So we were upside down fifteen grand a month day one. Did you ever question that decision of I don't I don't know. You mean when I was staring at the ceiling at two o'clock in the morning (laughs) for months on end? Yeah, I would would question that decision. You know, but again, the person sleeping next to me. Kept encouraging me, kept giving me, you know, listen, we're going to get through this. We're going to make this. You know what it looks like when 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 this thing is rocking and rolling. Um, so it took a, about a year and a half to get that thing up and running. Um, and when it got up and running, man, it was running. It was it was fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you see people's careers grow. see people buying into the opportunity. Uh, you see people starting to change their circumstance. You know, people buying homes, getting married, having children, those kinds of things. Ma- seeing their dreams come true, you know. Um, seeing that lifestyle. Uh, come to fruition right. was really, really gratifying. But you had, you, you, like you said, you'd seen it before. You yep. knew what it could do and it waned and then you brought it back. And I think that also speaks to, it's not the place, it's the person in a lot of, a lot of cases, right? And, and the people. And listen, the people. Listen, I'm not confused. You know, m- the people that were in my life helped me get to where I am. Um, although I'm the one that, you know, I'm the, I'm, I'm the, I'm the engine on the train. I get to see it first. But everybody behind me is the ones that are pushing me and, and driving me to get to that next level. So I had, great, I had you. I had Rich Correa. I had Javier Sandoval. I mean, I had great people in my organization. Josh Goodman. I mean, I just had really, really, really strong leaders. Yeah. Uh, and I was blessed to have you guys. Um, and, uh, you know, you were part and parcel of my success. No question about it. Um, so, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always grateful for what you have done and what you did, not just for my agency, but what you did for American Income by taking that leap of faith leaving a successful MGA position mm. mm-hmm. with commission opportunities, meaning you can earn as much as you want, yeah. getting into a salary position, kind of stuck where you're at with money, um, but obviously developing your career to where you are today. So um, I think we've uh, it's been a very good symbiotic relationship between Absolutely. the two of us. That's a whole episode in itself of the uh, <laughs> conversations with Roger, Roger Smith. Smith when I that, don't know. I don't know what you're going to get, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that at a later date. Um, so... You get it humming. It's doing good. Yep. You're making money. Planning on taking new territory. And expand. Yep. And are, are at this point, are you thinking like, I've finally found it. This is it. Yep. This is going to, you know, at, at the beginning, you said you weren't thinking about your life and where you wanted to be. But right. now, are, I mean, are you thinking like this is. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. now we're making plans yeah. because we have the means to make plans. Uh, we're We're dreaming again because. We have the flexibility and freedom to dream again. Yeah. Uh, whereas when you're financially strapped, you don't dream, you have nightmares. You know, you wake up and you're panicked because the mortgage is due, the rents due, the car payments are due. Now you wake up and you got dreams. You you have the you have the 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 weight of debt off you. 
um, which is which That's is huge. Op- which this opportunity provides. Yeah. Right? You can eliminate debt, um, which is so freeing. Um, it's amazing what you can think about when you don't think about the bills. Um, so yeah, we dreamed again, we planned again. Um, and we had, op- I was thinking about, I was going to go to Oklahoma from Oklahoma to Dallas and who knows what happened from there. Right. Cause straight down from Colorado. Um, right. and then I get a phone call. And what was that phone call? Roger Smith. Who's and the CEO. CEO of American income at the time. And, uh, I'm crushing it this year. I mean, I'm like up 28%, you know, we're doing really well, killing our category. And I'm cocky enough to think he's calling me to put me on council. Okay. And so the council, for people that don't know what that yep. is, it's the top, what, 10? 10, 12 people SGAs, in the organization. agency owners right. that are killing it in all areas, right. right? You're the best in recruiting and training and developing. And you get to serve on a council, which is kind of a, a sounding board, more or less, of the direction yeah. of the company. And it's very prestigious. It's a, it's a huge accomplishment. Right. Uh, it's an achievement award almost, right? Two yeah. great trips. Sure. Um, and you think this is that And Holly and I have been looking for that our entire careers as yeah. I'm like, man, I can't wait to go on the council trips. You go to great places, all that kind of stuff. You yeah. Know, all I'm thinking about is trips. Yeah. Not really helping. You walk around with the council ring. Yeah, exactly. Look, I'm on the council. Yeah, yeah, I'm on yeah. the council. Yeah. Right, you know, so. Yeah, well, let me hear you. Let me show you something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's Roger calling to put you on council. Yep. So his assistant at the time, Jenny, calls and goes, hey, Steve, Roger wants to talk to us. All right, Jen, no problem. So I'm all, you know, yeah. I know what this Using is Using nicknames and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, no problem, Jen. Right. Hey, Raj. Yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, said to Mr. Smith. Um, and uh, he goes, are you, hey, Steve, What are you doing right now? I'm so driving you- from the office in Denver to my home up in Fort Collins. Okay. Loveland. And um, I'm on I 25 mm-hmm. at the bend. I know exactly where I was at the bend where Mile High Stadium was. You know oh, exactly okay. what I'm talking yeah, about. Right? I know so exactly. Bend yeah. Right there. Yeah. So you're just getting on the road in the left lane. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of traffic. I vividly remember this <laughs> driving my car. And uh, he goes, hey, Steve. I said, uh, hey, hey Roger, how's it going? He goes, uh, no, I come back. Absolutely, man. He goes, uh, you do? I said, yeah. He said, uh, well, I don't think you do. I said, okay, tell me what's up. He goes, there's this company at, at Torchmark at the time. Which is Globe Life now. Globe Life now, yeah. right. Uh, Liberty. And I've been asked to go over and, and CEO that as well as American Income uh, to try and get that on track with some of our systems that we have over here. And I'd like you to come and interview for the executive vice president position. And I was like, uh, uh. so I'm in the left lane. I end up all the way across the highway in the right lane, parked on the breakdown lane, and I'm shaking. And he goes, this was a Wednesday. And he goes, well, I'm going to have Jenny talk to you and I'm going to fly out on Monday. I'm like, Roger, you're not flying me out on Monday. I said, listen, one of two things is going to occur. I'm going to get a plane ticket tomorrow to be there Friday and I start driving now. Your choice. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, I'm not, I'm not going to think about this all weekend. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to mentally just destroy myself all weekend thinking about what you just said. And a lot of people ask, why would you do that? And the reason that I looked at this as such a great opportunity is because of the respect that I had for Roger. I saw what he had done with American income. He took it from $99 million to, I mean, um, he took it from $42 million or $53 million to one hundred and $20 million by the time I left at 11. Yeah. And I saw the systems he put in place. I saw the admiration that people had for him. And I thought to myself, if he had five or six years left, I wanted to get some of that. And if I worked with him every day, I'd be a much better leader. Um, and I knew that Colorado would be fine because Rich Correa was there. Matt Turnquist was there. Javier Sandoval was there. All these guys were there that I knew could absolutely take it to the next level. And they did. Mm-hmm. They absolutely did. So, uh, December 16th, 2011, I start commuting to 
Denver to Dallas. I leave Dallas, I mean Denver on Sunday, 6 p.m. I'd get to Dallas and leave Dallas at Friday at 6 p.m. And I did that for six months back and forth. Um, Probably the same hours you were working before as an SGA, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not quite. Uh, <laughs> when you got people like you running your team, you don't have to be there all the time. Yeah. Uh, so I had a really good life in Colorado towards towards the end um, because I had such a great leadership team, um, and we had systems in place, and we and we and we respected the systems. Um, so come here and uh, a little different. A little different. Um, what did you know about Liberty before that phone call from Roger? The only thing I knew about Liberty is what Bill used to tell us, that they've got 800 agents in Alabama. How come you can't hire three people? I remember yeah, that. So that was all he used to tell us. That's all I knew about Liberty. Um, so obviously- did they do car insurance? Is that, it the car? Yeah, like, what is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So obviously that wasn't the reality of the situation. Right. Um, but listen, you're talking about a company that had 111 years of history. Uh you know, older than Quaker Oats, older than the Boy Scouts. I mean, this company had been around for a while, endured every financial crisis this company's ever been through, every war this company's been through. 12 years old when the Titanic sank. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this company, Liberty National, had had been through it. Um, and unfortunately, uh, there was a need for leadership change. Um, it had gotten stale. Uh, it had gotten, uh, I guess, nonproductive. And, uh, you know, Roger coming over, knowing who I was and doing what I did in Colorado, what we did in AIL, uh, brought some systems over, uh, brought some people over. Um, and we just started this slow, carefully thought out plan of number one, appreciating the people that were still here, which was key. Because uh, they had gone through a lot. They gone through a lot, man. Listen, I got, I got, I got admiration and respect for everybody and anybody that went through that. I don't know that I'd have survived it, honestly. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I've endured that nonsense. And you know, the people that have listened to this podcast leading up to now, we've had um, conversations with people like, uh, you know, uh, Jason Everett, um, and and some other, you know, agency owners, you know, Keith Mitchell that had gone through this, and you know, Keith said that there was a time where it was just like, just keep your head down. Stay off the radar. Don't do anything that draws any yeah, attention. Absolutely. And things will change. They're going to have to change. And uh, so what What I think you had a meeting here at the DFW mm-hmm. uh, airport, yep. Hilton, right somewhere in December. Mm-hmm. And you've got everybody there. Yep. So you're coming in with maybe certain thoughts about how we're going to take this company over. And it's just <laughs> let's go. And what were you thinking during that meeting and and after that meeting, I was thinking during that meeting, there's there's certainly a challenge here, but there's a lot of good people in that audience that deserve better leadership. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I had to divert to Roger because, I mean, I was raised differently, you know, and so <laughs> a lot of expletives in my in my coaching back then. Right. Um, we, we have gone almost an hour without one right now. That's pretty good. Right? It's because I'm cognizant of it. Yes. Um, no, but but in all seriousness, I mean, I, I followed Roger's lead. You know, I, I followed Roger's lead. I, I get listen. Roger was so gracious in in those years that anytime there was something wrong, he jumped in front of it. Anytime something went well, he put me out front. So, what was um, the philosophy for you at that point? Where it's, I'm going to take this 111 year old company, the founding company of Torchmark, now Globe Life, right? The original company. Uh, and turn it into wh- where it's going today. But at that time, where you think it can go, what's your, how do you do that? What, what's your philosophy? Well, my philosophy was Roger's philosophy, which was in the beginning, just make those deposits of trust. Just get out there and 
let people know it's going to be okay. Listen, there's going to be change. You're not going to like it. Okay, you're just not because nobody likes change. Um, you're not going to embrace it in the beginning because it's going to take time to see the results, to have the belief that what we're doing is is for the betterment of not just me but you. Um, I'm not doing this just for me, but hopefully your family can benefit from the change we make as well. And I think if you polled the agency owners today, I would think the majority would say that it's better today than it was ten years ago. Um, I think, uh, yeah, all of them. So probably. you know, uh, and again. We did nothing more than lay out the map. It was up to them to take the journey, right? So those that took the journey, I think have benefited from it. Those that weren't willing to take the journey, uh, I understand because they've been through a lot. So I don't fault anybody for not being here anymore, but I'm grateful for those that stuck it out. I'm grateful for those that led the way. I'm grateful for those that validated our dream. Mm -hmm. um, and listen, we're not done. We're not done. Listen, we're, we're, we, we, we eclipsed that hundred million. We're going to get to 250 million. You're going to get to 500 million. Um, that, that's going to happen. Um, and, uh, and the reason it happens is we got good people. You know, during COVID, I heard something that stopped me dead in my tracks, you know, podcasts and all the stuff that you listen to when you were just stuck at home. Mm -hmm. And I was walking across the, the, the living room and it was on television, on the radio or something. And it said, your organization will never be any better than you are as a person. And that just stopped me dead. And the first thing you do is an inventory, right? Yeah. Like, oh God, who am yeah, I? That's, you know, who am I? It's like, Ugh. That's a scary proposition. It's a scary sometimes. proposition to ask yeah. yourself, right? You're holding the mirror up and you're doing a hard inventory. And, you know, I walked away and I, I, I slept okay that night. Um, but what made me sleep peacefully was the fact that I know that I had 55, 58, 60 agency owners that were good people. And if I got good people at the wheel, we're okay. We're going to be okay. And that's how we endured COVID. We just had good people at the wheel shepherding through this unprecedented event. Um, and, uh, you know, we came out the other side okay. Yeah. But, you know, there was, there was challenges long before that. Oh, sure. And you know, I did want to talk a little bit about COVID as well because obviously we both went through that and, and know kind of how that came you know how we were what we were thinking and sure. what we were trying to um to go through but it, it, maybe just before that so you know you're incorporating systems and it's a lot of i guess hearts and minds just sure. winning people yeah, over absolutely and when did you start to think that okay i i can we're getting momentum we're yeah. it didn't happen in the first two years let me tell no, you that. it didn't <laughs> so you know it, I, it was very very humbling we brought over systems, we brought over people, and sales went down from 2011, <laughs> down again in 2012, down again in 2013. And that was very humbling. Um, there was a guy here at the time, his name was Vern Herbel. And uh, he remember, he pulled me aside one day and I was just, you know, I, I was visibly uh, not pleased with what we were doing results-wise. Pulled me aside one day, he goes, listen, You've been out there in the field now driving a speedboat for 10 years. So you turn the wheel and it turns hard left. You turn the wheel, it turns hard right. He goes, you're on a ocean liner now. He goes, you can turn that damn wheel all you want. The boat's mm. not going to turn. It takes time for something this large to navigate change. And every time you turn that wheel, you're disrupting exactly. the slow process exactly. of what it takes. So stay the course, do the things that Roger's telling you to do, do the things that you know, you know are the right things to do. And that was very impactful information for me because it gave me the patience for the position that I was in, because before, if I wanted something done, and we talked about it on Monday, by God, it was done on Friday. 
Yeah. Um, but that's not how it works here because you've got so many different people with so many different backgrounds, with so many different levels of belief in what you're trying to achieve um, that it's hard to get everybody to change simultaneously. So one would go, then one would go, then one would. So after time, we had the entire age sort of body moving in the right direction. Um, but yeah, it was, it was frustrating in the beginning. And listen, it's something I should have expected, right? But being naive and a young leader, I didn't realize that. So a uh, valuable lesson, valuable right. lesson. So uh, as we start to grow, the company's really getting momentum and you know, there again, people that are listening to this that were in that agency owner group, you know, they heard things like buck the trend and let's move, you know, we're, we're, and, and that happens. Sure. Right. And it's 2019. It is like that the, the, the cruise ship has turned. We are on the course, throttle down. We're going to get there. And then, uh, you know, it's March, uh, February, March 2020. I'm in Punta Cana. Yep. And uh, start hearing this thing about a virus and a yeah. COVID and what is that and all that kind of stuff. And we get on a plane, we fly home, come to the office. It was, I think, March 20th or something like that. And the world's uh, slowly shutting down. Slowly shutting down. And they send us home March 23rd, 25th, 26th, somewhere in there. And we're gone for 17 months. Don't come back. The spring break that never ended, as I put it. Um, my kids were home. I was never more than 40 feet from my family for a month, a year and a half. That really challenges relationships. <laughs> um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the backyard. Yeah. Um, and, and Helps to have a nice backyard. Yeah. And sometimes I'd be in the backyard just screaming and yelling, frustrated at the situation because for the first time in my professional life, I didn't have an answer. You know, Home Depot, you got a problem. I got a solution. American income, you couldn't figure out recruiting, I could help you. You couldn't get referrals, I could help you. I remember getting a call from Kyle Keller. He says, hey, Steve. Kyle's uh, an agency owner. Kyle Keller's an agency owner in Pennsylvania. Yep. Brand new agency owner, by the way. Yeah. He said, hey, man, uh, the state of Pennsylvania just shut me down. I said, what does that mean? He goes, only essential workers can travel out of their home. I said, what's an essential worker? So he sends me the document. I send the document here to the home office. And I remember legal compliance at the time, Larry and Gary, who were co-CEOs, mm -hmm. in a 24-hour period, somehow we became essential workers, right? So that's a testament to the agility of the company that we work for. And a company that's in tune with- The needs people. of people. The Elicit. needs of people. People that are dependent on their ability to get out there to earn an income. See businesses, see, see homeowners, see people where they work and live. Yeah. And if I have to stay in my home, that's impossible. Um, so again- just the impotency that you feel as a leader without a solution to people that rely on you for direction and leadership was was very humbling. And again, just frustrating moments in the backyard, just screaming at the wind. So we were talking to Stephanie Briggs uh, in her episode, and I hadn't realized this. So she was talking about the COVID time when she had just gone to open up a, an expansion office for her agency owner and everyone in her office quit. And it was her and one other person and kind of the whole mindset that she had to go to go through that. And you can listen to the episode. But the interesting thing that she said that I didn't realize this, they were writing business. They go from Indiana to Illinois. They were stopping them at the border. Yeah. And they had to show that they the are. Yeah, they had to show yeah. the doctor just to cross state line. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. You know, how impactful that moment was. Yeah. Um, that the, the one document. Yeah, they were able to get everything. that down. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and even, you know, I remember... Right as COVID was happening, we were talking about counsel, 
and how you really wanted to be on the council. We had the council at Liberty and we had a council meeting that was canceled. Yeah. And we did it virtually, virtually yeah. in the boardroom here. And the second day we said, hey, we're, we're going to have to cancel this meeting be- virtually because we got to go figure out the virtual presentation and get this done in the next 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, something that would normally probably take in two years, we accomplished in two weeks. I mean, you and I were on phone calls seven o'clock on a Saturday night, talking to marketing department, talking to the legal department, compliance, talking to anybody that could help us get to where we, IT. I mean, just, it was all hands on deck to make sure that the agency force could survive this event. And that's what it was, it was survival. We didn't thrive during those years, but we survived. And we had a foundation of leadership that we could grow with when we came out the other side. Uh, And I'm grateful for all the changes that were made by the home office and Globe Life and Torchmark at that time to at least respect the agent enough to come up with a solution. Yeah. Because a lot yeah. of companies just said, listen, we'll see you on the other side. Hope you make it. Hope you make it. How important is it to have just that synergy in an organization, if you're a leader in an organization with multiple departments, that when a crisis or a challenge comes up, to be able to have the synergy, the ability to break down silos and come together? Because that also slows down a lot of companies when sure. things like this happen. Yeah, listen, uh, that's that's been a culture here for years, and uh, it's something that I truly cherish. Um, because and protect my, and protect because my problem is everybody else's problem. Their problem is my problem. Listen, we don't succeed by ourselves. There's no way that Liberty National gets to where it is without the without the help of legal, actuary, marketing. The branding that we went through, all the stuff that you know that that I had to have faith in. I was a, I was a, I was an opponent of it in the beginning, you know, wrongfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a wonderful experience for us as we move forward. Um, but again, it wasn't the way I was raised. We had our name and we had our pride and we had you know we're the founding company. Like I've been here for a hundred years, right? Right. I've been here for eight six years when that started. Um, but I still had the pride of ownership of the name and and the and the opportunity. But again, having open mind accepting new ideas, those types of things. The things that I was asking my people to do, I, was, I wasn't willing to do, which is kind of ironical. Um, but over time, it was um, you know expressed to me that that's probably the best way to move it. Um, and I just had to learn it on my own time. So I understand the transition that our engineers went through because I had to go through it myself right. in, a, in a microcosm, not to the extent that they did. But again, had to you know get my mind open to new ideas and those types of things. But that, that's also what you said earlier, is that what gives you the ability to lead is you've gone through these things. Right. And you know the way. Right. So now we've, you know, we got the company doing really well, achieving goals, you know, right at $100 million, like you mentioned earlier. And uh, we're on a path of continued growth and success. So how do you define your vision and maybe your legacy from this point forward? What's well, your legacy? Well, first and foremost, it's you. I mean, you know, people like yourself, it's the people that have endured the pain of change. It's the Brian Cannington's and the Angela Hansons. It's the Mallory Redus and the, you know, Vicky Ketron's and the, you know, Tim Adderholtz back in the day and Jeff Miller, who kind of gave us some guidance mm, and, you know, mm. I'm talking old school now, right? I'm talking, yeah. you know, Owen Wilson that believed in this in the beginning. Um, and some of the new school people, you know, um, gosh, you got, Natalie Whittingham, that's killing it. And she's going to be a phenomenal agency owner in the future. Um, you know, you've got people that are just expanding the individual market. Um, and again, 
I'm so grateful for their belief in what we've done and they're paving the path for those that come afterwards because, you know, legacy can be defined in so many ways and too many people define it by possessions or wealth. And I think to me, the poorest measurement of a legacy is wealth. I think the, the greatest measurement of legacy is people. Uh, the people that have believed in what you are doing, um, that champion what you're doing, uh, and, and, and help you achieve things that you otherwise couldn't achieve by yourself. Um, and again, I'm not confused, man. Listen, I know that you've done the heavy lifting, uh, but I'm going to claim 2% of it. Well, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to claim 2% of all those other people out there in the field. I know they've done 98% of the hard work. Um, and when I finally decide to tack a nail on the wall and hang them up and I turn around and look back, the wealth that I'm going to feel as an individual, the wealth that I'm going to feel as a leader is going to be the people that have not just embraced what we've brought to this company, but have expanded it, have um, trumpeted it, have furthered it, and and touched many more people than I could ever thought we could touch um, just by the belief in what we do and, and what we believe in. So uh, it's exponential. Exponential, yeah. So it's the multiplier, not the thing that adds. It's the thing that multiplies. Yeah. So um, my legacy is going to be people and. Um, I'm going to be wealthy beyond beyond measure if that's the way I look at it. Yeah, uh, I certainly appreciate that. I'll give you more than two percent for sure. <laughs> well, that's gracious. All right, that's gracious. Well, um, and I, and I think I just speak for everybody uh, from the field and the home office and the people that you've impacted that we really appreciate your leadership and your guidance and what you've done for us and what you've done for this company because that steered us and it steered everybody in the right direction to have the life that that we're able to have through this opportunity through your through your leadership so we really appreciate that oh listen and i'm 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 in your debt as well and the people in the field's debt because without their belief in what we're doing without their execution of the things that we brought forward my family doesn't get to benefit the lifestyle that they benefit so it is a very mutually beneficial relationship yeah, absolutely yep so steve thank you for sharing your story talking about everything from the beginning. There's things that I've known you for a long time. There's some things that I learned today as well. So, um, but we're not done yet. We do have a tradition okay. on the Level Up Lifestyle. You actually know the tradition. I see you looking down I here. I do. Is uh, we give everyone a bobblehead okay. as a thank you for participating on the Level Up Lifestyle podcast. So um, if you're listening, get on YouTube and watch this episode too, because you'll be able to see the bobblehead. So Steve, I want to present <coughs> to you your official Level Up Lifestyle bobblehead. Here you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. And I still have the suit. Yeah, we, you still have the suit. Yeah, we. It's uh, and it's and it's you know we we tried to pick you know an outfit that you uh, that you still have. So very very, very kind in the uh, in the in the uh, character. It's not a roast. It's not a roast. There's another one that we did that we'll give you yeah. at the Christmas party. The pin cushion, right? Yeah, sure. we, yeah. That's the yeah. voodoo doll. Yeah, exactly. um, uh, not the bobblehead, but yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know I'll just close kind of the, the same way that we've done with everybody. You know you've you've gone through so much in in your life and. Um, if this bobblehead if is talking to you, you know, if you're if you're talking to yourself maybe as that kid taking care of the family while your mom's working or kind of having just gone through those challenging situations going into college, 
what are you telling yourself then based on what you know now? Wow. Hang in there, man. You know. That's good. Hang in there. Just just come back. You know, just one more day. It's all it takes. Just come yeah. back one more day. Just don't let the events of today determine your path for tomorrow. You know, put it behind you. Uh, I know it's hard to believe, but the adversity you went through will determine who you become in the future. Um, and unfortunately... The road to success is paved with adversity and you've got to get through it. You've got to, you've got to find a way to persevere and overcome and, um, you know, just don't ever lose belief in yourself. Don't ever let anybody to diminish your uniqueness. Don't ever let anybody dampen your enthusiasm for what you believe is the opportunity of a lifetime. And, uh, if I can give you any advice out there, just come back one more day. I promise you. Uh, it'll be better. Absolutely. Impactful words. Thank you so much, Steve. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us today. We hope this episode has inspired you on your path to success. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next story. See you soon on the Level Up Lifestyle Podcast.